Ralph and Kev are going to give you an eargasm with Hollywood Babylon Comic-Con Theater, Saturday, November 19th at the Lovitz. Experience comic books like an old-time radio play as Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman read off the pages of your favorite comics and transform them into voice-acting hilarity. So get your geek-loving ass to the John Lovitz Podcast Theater in L.A. for Hollywood Babylon Comic-Con Theater, live on Saturday, November 19th. Tickets on sale now. Click the link for this and all other Smodco shows at csmod.com. Yo, San Juan Capistrano. Jay and Silent Bob are filling up the Coach House on November 18th. Check out their version of the Swallows Festival. Only without all the goddamn birds shitting everywhere for two months. Kevin Smith and Jason Muse will stuff your gut with some pre-Turkey Day entertainment. Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live at the Coach House, November 18th in San Juan Capistrano, California. For links to tickets for this and all Smodco shows, bookmark csmod.com. Yo, Orlando, guess who's getting hard as a rock? Jay and Silent Bob at the Hard Rock Live on March 16th. Kevin Smith and Jason Muse will regale you with ribald tales so debaucherous, I can't even mention them here. Actually, I just don't know what the fuck they're going to talk about. But prepare your funny boner for some awesome oral. We'll even supply the tissues. Jay and Silent Bob get old at the Hard Rock Live in Orlando on March 16th. Links for tickets for this and all Smodco shows available now at csmod.com. Yo, Detroit, guess who's coming to save the city on April 13th? Nope, not RoboCop. Jay and Silent Bob, motherfuckers. Smotco's icons are taking the stage at the Redford Theater, and you are cordially invited to plant your ass there. Kevin Smith and Jason Muse. No trench coats, no hair extensions, but maybe a reference to Don't Stop Believing. Jay and Silent Bob get old. April 13th at the Redford Theater in Detroit. Tickets on sale now, so go get them, Tiger. Oh, wait, sorry. Lions. Links to tickets for all Smodco shows at csmod.com. Biatch. So you're saying to yourself, yo, sir, dude, I wanted to see Kevin Smith in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but the motherfucker sold out. Well, after I shed a tear for you, I highly recommend bookmarking csmod.com. That's the place on the worldwide interwebs to see all upcoming Smodco shows, updated with linky links to Tiki Tickets. Say it with me, baby. csmod.com. Nice. Ooh, I just got a little hard there. Yo, Solana Beach, California. Guess who's gonna get old live? Not old as in Christ on a popsicle stick, this is boring. I'm talking about Jay and Silent Bob get old, no fuckers. Kevin Smith and Jason Mews are coming to the Belly Up Tavern on November 22nd. Don't miss the debauchery, Iggy Biggy. Jay and Silent Bob get old, recording their podcast live at the Belly Up Tavern in Solana Beach, California on November 22nd. Get your tickets for this and all other Smodco shows at csmod.com. 
Red State DVD and Blu-ray available now at coopersdell.com. Get exclusive bundle packages featuring posters, soundtracks, t-shirts, signed scripts, wardrobe used in the film, and a chance to be a guest on air with Kevin Smith via Skype. Red State DVD and Blu-ray exclusive bundles now at coopersdell.com. Smirch alert, smirch alert, motherfucker, smirch alert. Go to smodcast.com slash smerchandise to get your official Jay and Silent Bob iPhone 4 cases from Casemate. Choose from three different snoogerific designs. We got soft ones and hard ones. Hey, I'm talking about the cases, bitch. All emblazoned with your favorite Smodco icons, Jay and Silent Bob. Snag your iPhone 4 case for $39.99 and protect the precious smodcast.com slash merchandise yo Canada Jay and Silent Bob are gonna be royally mounting you December 7th in Vancouver December 8th Edmonton December 9th Calgary December 10th Saskatoon and December 11th Winnipeg their comedic maple syrup's gonna be gushing all over your timbits. How's that for a visual, eh? Jay and Silent Bob get old. Live in the Great White North. Linky links to tickets at smodcast.com slash get old in Canada. So, you're saying, yo, sir, dude, I love sir, and I want to show the world. Wear your sir love with our official t-shirts, biatch. Fishies have no eyes. Let us fuck. Jay and Silent Bob get old. The Garmy. There's also posters, action figures. There's so many to choose from. Grab your smirch at smodcast.com. Scroll down and click on Smerchandise. Catch live video clips of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old and Hollywood Babylon on the Kevin Smith blog for the Huffington Post. Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. That's Huff.to slash Kevin Smith blog. Want early access to tickets for Smodcast Internet Radio's metric fuckton of live shows? Join Smodcast. For just $4.99 a month, you'll get CD-quality audio of every podcast you hear on Sir, ad-free. It's like watching porn without having to fast-forward through that goddamn plot. You'll also get bonus video content and other badass exclusives. Smodcast where Smodcast goes save for pay. All the deets at Smodcast.com. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream.
Twenty years to this day since the ship set sail. We've been following the night just to hear its tales. It's been a long time since I have seen a map. If there was a place that we were trying to go, we'd be far off track. There's not a cloud up in the sky tonight. There's no land within our watchman's sight. Oh, the sea's calm, and it sparkles with the stars' reflected light. We've not even one candle lit, for the moon is unbelievably bright. Kept track of how far we've gone. It's been too long to recount all we've done. Truth be told, right now I'm not even sure where we are. We'll know which side of the world when we can see the North Star. As the stars in the east disappear to pink, I listen to the wind meet my breath as I think of what more is out there that we haven't yet seen. I could spend the rest of my life in a new part of the sea. Kept track of how far we've gone, and it's been too long to recount all we've done. Truth be told, right now I'm not even sure where we are. We'll know which side of the world when we can see the North Star. Was the uber uber talented Logan Heftel, a friend um, and just uh, such a beautiful songwriter and singer? Uh, that was called North Star. You can always check him out at Logan L O G A N Heftel H E F T E L dot com. You can also find him on iTunes. Yeah, I think he's got two two full albums or an album and an EP, something like that. 
Anyway, uh, welcome everyone to the middle of November. Here we are. It's uh, almost dark out here. It's 5.05 in LA and uh, we've got lights on in the, ha- in the room today. We weren't doing that the couple months ago. Uh, so anyway, it's, you know, it's getting cozy. It's getting cozy here in, on the, uh, on, on the planet uh, in the winter time here on, in the, in the Northern hemisphere, as they say. Uh, wow. What a last two weeks it's been, uh, for myself. Uh, I know the world has been spinning around and lots going on too. Um, but last week I wasn't here live on the radio with you guys because I was up in Mill Valley in Northern California uh, doing my show, A Carlin Home Companion, at the Throckmorton Theater, at the 142 Throckmorton, as they say. And uh, that was Sunday night, did the show. And uh, wow, every time I do it, it's just this whole other new experience because I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I just don't have a lot of experience. So every time I do it, it's like, wow, look at that. And it's really starting to come together. Uh, Paul Provenza, who's directing my show, and I actually got about three hours, almost three, almost four hours of rehearsal time on Friday and actually started doing rehearsal of some of the acting stuff. And uh, as, as just as a performer, that's where I'm really excited about to go to that next level and really embody and inhabit all this stuff. It's, uh, it's just so cool. I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm just so grateful. And and all the people that came out who um, heard my call on Twitter and Facebook, uh, both the people who won tickets, uh, got some comps, and people who paid. I just want to thank you. You guys were such an incredible warm audience. In fact, you were laughing so much, I didn't know what to do. I had to like pause and go, oh, yeah, they're laughing. I'm supposed to be quiet now. So it was it was great. And uh, had a couple of... Um, uh, you know, kind of famous comedian types in the audience too. And that was cool because they related to it on a whole different level. Um, and I always love getting their feedback. So, so that was, that was, uh, that was a nice little treat. Absolutely. And, you know, because my dad's not here, I, I always feel that like when one of these gentlemen, these gentlemen comedians, uh, give me feedback, it's like, okay, I'm taking that in because that's, you know, kind of the dad energy, the dad comedian energy. So I really appreciate their their uh, support of me and them really getting the show and really uh, getting how they get to experience um, my my father on a different level, you know, his his human side, his full heart. And uh, and then, of course, my journey through it all and what I bring to it. So I'm in a really kind of mellow mood today. It's kind of nice, actually. I'm I don't know. You know, two weeks ago we had Chris Bono and Rick Overton here and that was fucking fun. It was crazy shit. And and not next week because next week's Thanksgiving, but the week after I'll have Jay Moore and I'm sure that'll be crazy fun too. Um, what else is going on? Uh, oh, okay. So here's the dealio, folks. Are you ready for this? So if you go to my website, kellycarlin.com and you go to the forward slash waking, you'll get to my waking from the American dream page. And you'll see on the right, if you scroll down a little bit, a new PayPal donate button. Um, I'm uh, asking for your support to keep this podcast vibrant and good and um, to help support all the elements that go into making this podcast. Uh, if you love this work, if you like, like my the voice, my voice, my laugh, my silliness, my seriousness, uh, what I bring to the table here, um, show your support and, uh, you know, 
take a take a couple of bucks out of the wallet and put it towards the podcast. The podcast would appreciate it so much. The podcast is just it's much more than me. It's 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 all that I bring to it and and some some other elements. So uh I you know, I feel uncomfortable about it, but at the same time it's just it's just a reality. Um I'd love to be able to do all of this for free all day long, but uh hmm, you know, not possible. <laughs> <laughs> there's a real world out there with, you know, medical insurance and car insurance and, oh, that pesky mortgage thing that comes up every month. Really? I mean, so silly. I, I don't know. We have like another, what, 20 years on that fucking thing? Who knows? Do you really ever own anything in the world? No, you don't. We know that. You can't take it with you. But we pretend we do. So my husband and I pretend that we own this house, even though we own very small percentage of it. Um. So that's what's going on on my website now. Um, what else is on there? I don't have any. Oh, also, uh, just for you San Francisco people who or Northern California people that missed my show, A Carlin Home Companion, I will be back up in San Francisco to do Sketch Fest, it looks like. It's the San Francisco Sketch Fest. It's their big comedy festival up there. And I'll be uh, performing my show again January 27th at I think their Eureka Theater, they said. But anyway, go to San Francisco Sketch Fest, Google that. And uh, I know they're listing stuff in December. Nothing's listed yet. But I'll remind you, you know me, I like to remind people of all these things. Um, I'm gonna take a sip of tea here. Hold on a sec. Because it's kind of cozy. We've got the fireplace going on. And I've got tea. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, I think the cockles of my heart are being warmed. And what the fuck are cockles of the heart anyway? I, cockles are things you eat. It's just, I guess it's the valve part. I don't know. So the valves of my heart are warm, if that makes any sense to any of you. Um, what else? What else? Uh, boy, oh, I just, I'm just looking on Twitter here. I see that Logan just got the fact that I was tweeting about him. That's cool. Love Logan. Um, um, oh, okay. Some guests that are coming up. I've got, like I said, December 1st, Jay Moore. Uh, December 8th, I'm having Ted Alexandro on, which I'm really excited about because he's been down at OS, OWS a lot. He and Lee Camp have been like the two, and Jamie Kilstein, all three fine, fine gentlemen comedians that I know, uh, have all been down there because they're very politically active and politically savvy. So Ted will be uh, on the show December 8th, and that'll be fun. I've met him on on Lewis Black's cruise last year when they went. And uh, uh, Ted has an abortion joke that is just phenomenal. I will have to play that that day. Uh, and then on the 15th of December, which will be the last show of the year, is a young comic named Daryl Wright, who's... Uh, uh, his album is out on Eardrum Records, which is the record label that my father started and that myself and Jerry Hamza are continuing. And uh, he's uh, as politically incorrect as it comes. And I think dad would like that. <laughs> so that'll be fun and exciting. Um, oh, good. I've warmed. Oh, and my webmaster, she's so cute. She's tweeting me right now. She wants to me to remind everyone also that um, I now have a subscribe on iTunes button on my website too, because I'm all about the widgets. I'm telling you, if I could just have the entire page, the entire website, just all widgets and things you just push and go and I would be happy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yes, um, we have we now have a groovy little she and she designed the iTunes subscribe button. So make sure you give props to um, Malibu Radley. You should follow Malibu Radley. Actually, she's uh, she's very funny. Um, when we play hashtag games, she's always making milk snort out of my nose. 
which is a little awkward, but uh, fun. <laughs> um, so I hope you guys are all well and heading towards Thanksgiving. I know Thanksgiving and the holidays can bring up a lot of shit for people. Uh, you know, the whole family anxiety thing. Uh, you know, because when we go home, you know, if, if like, you know, let's say you're 45 years old and you go home to visit your family, you are immediately 14 years old again. You are not 45. And all of the dynamics that you and your parents had going when you were 14 come rearing uh, their its ugly head. And uh, so, uh, you know, I know the holidays can be... Um, a little anxiety pr- producing for people. And, and, uh, so, so here's, here's my invitation to everyone. Um, you know, what would it be like if, uh, you chose to have it different this year, you know, and that doesn't mean not going to your family, but you chose to, to do, be in a different space with it and to, um, to stay in your 45 or 33 or 62 year old body, however old you are. And, uh, and come from there and just come from your heart and just love your family. Uh, you know, one thing I know is having, uh, being an only child and both my parents are gone. Uh, you gotta love them while they're here, no matter what configuration they're in. Even if they're in a configuration where you have to live 3000 miles away from them and maybe not go back to Thanksgiving, but you know, we're, we're only here once. At least I assume we're only here once. So we'll all find out when we go. I mean, it'll either, either something different will happen or it won't, but either way we'll be fine because <laughs> we won't know. <laughs> so I'm assuming we only do this once, at least with this brain, I only do this once. Um, what else? Uh, oh, just to let you know, also my husband and I, we're going to be um, uh, deep frying the turkeys again this year. Uh, I must tell you it's, it's, hands down the best and only way to have turkey. It is so good. It is so moist. Well, first we brine them for like, I don't know, two or three days so that like it gets all the moisture in them. And then we have two big deep fryers and it's like this whole production and we're all like, you know, we all have to take pictures the minute the turkey hits the oil, you know, like we're ever going to look at a picture of turkey hitting the oil again, but we do. We all, and like, and like everyone in the, in the house takes the picture of the turkey hitting the oil. So, uh, uh, I highly recommend it. You, you got to be careful though, because it is hot oil and it's all that and it is a fire hazard. So make sure you have a fire extinguisher and all that good stuff and keep the dogs and the kids away. But uh, let me tell you, really, really good turkey. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're going to have about 20 people here. We get this big, long table and I, for the day, turn into Martha Stewart. Yes, it's true. I have a little Martha Stewart in me. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, we uh we do the decorations. I get in the mood. I get the I get the colored leaves out and the pine cones and things like that and and we get we get into the decorations of the turkey thing. No cornucopia though. I find the cornucopia just a little too corny. Can't go with that. Uh and we have lots of friends over and uh we laugh our way through way too much calories and food, but you know, that's the whole point of it, right? Is to eat too much never really understood that. It's just another turkey meal. But anyway, um, and there's a lot to be thankful for this year. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on in the world. We fucking know that, don't we? Huh? But uh, at the same time, uh, we're breathing. We're here. We're sitting up. I'm sitting up in the upright position here talking to you folks. And that in itself is uh, huge. 
And uh, wow. And, and, you know, I don't believe in like the Christian miracle thing, but a miracle, like truly a miracle, all the stuff that has to go on in your body right now for you to be breathing. If you've ever taken a biology class, it will freak you out to, to know all the stuff that needs to go right in order to be breathing in every moment. So in some ways, that's kind of my definition of a miracle is like the holy shit. Oh, my God, that is so cool stuff. So um, I think that's it. I think we're going to play a little song here. And um, uh, what are we going to play? Oh, we're going to play my dear friends, um, Travis and Shook uh, in the Club Wow, this little song called Bob Sweet, the part two. And when we come back, we're going to have an interview. And this song, by the way, is one um, my dad used to uh, play on the piano and he and I used to sing together a gazillion years ago. Enjoy. We'll be back. Can't find your glasses and 
Welcome back, everyone. Like I said, that was uh, Travis Shook and the Club Wow. Uh, that's a song that they used to, uh, when they opened for my dad back in the 70s, they used to sing. And uh, my dad and I, would he played on the piano and we'd sing together. Uh, anyway, I'm really excited. I have uh, my guest here is on the line and I'm going to introduce him now. Um, my guest is Andrew Cohen. And Andrew Cohen, I first encountered, boy, <clears throat> let's see, it's 2011. I think like around 2006, I started getting into integral philosophy and reading Ken Wilber books and then discovered this magazine, um, which used to be called in, in something else, Enlightened Now, I think it was, but now it's called Enlightened Next, and um, started getting into uh, Andrew's teachings and his philosophy. And he, he founded the magazine and the foundation that it's based on. And uh, it's been like, for me, this touchstone the last six years, because I felt that the normal kind of spiritual seeking uh, was... Uh, just not not all that it's cut out to be. And there's a whole other level that we're going to talk about today that, that he talks about. So a- Andrew's not only a spiritual teacher, he's a cultural visionary, like I said, founder of the global nonprofit Enlighten Next and its award-winning publication Enlighten Next magazine, which you can no longer get because they're no longer publishing it on paper. Uh, and through Andrew's writings and teachings and dialogues with uh, amazing people, philosophers, scientists, mystics, he's he's known, he doesn't just talk the same old talk that you've been, you know, that the perennial wisdom talks about. He's got a whole new take on this. And we're going to be talking today about his new book called 11 <laughs> Evolutionary Enlightenment, if my mouth will work now. And so I want to welcome Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, it's uh, really good to be with you. It's fantastic to have you. Andrew's calling. Uh, he and I are skyping. Andrew's in Boston, I believe, where uh, you uh, you hang out and your whole uh, center is. It's Lenox, Massachusetts, in Western Massachusetts. Oh, Lenox, that's right, that's right. No, that's, that's, is that north of Boston? West. Oh, oh, west. 
west of Boston. Okay, now I've got the map in my head. Um, <laughs> so the last time I saw you, uh, you were out here briefly and, um, it was so funny because I had been wanting to meet you for years and you were backstage at this big consciousness thing at Royce Hall at UCLA. And I, and I turned around and I saw you and you were holding this cute little dog. And I thought to myself, oh. <laughs> That was my dog, yeah. <laughs> I know, and my brain went, okay, must expand definition of Andrew Cohen in my head now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. It was fabulous. It totally, like, it blew my mind, and I was like, okay, that's cool. All right, now I have a whole other impression of you. It's so funny. Because I always see you pondering with Ken Wilbur in this very serious way, and then to see this cute little dog, it was just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to start today and just have the audience kind of get to know who you are and a little bit about your background and how you came to all of this work. Um, and one of the things that I saw in your bio was that at 16, you had some sort of an experience that uh, made you go, hmm, I think there's more to all of this. <laughs> well, yeah, like like many of us, I grew up, uh, I grew up in a secular family. In my, in my own case, I grew up in a secular uh, upper middle class Jewish family in New York City. So, uh, so God or, or spirit, uh, or our deep interiors really didn't have much, uh, didn't, didn't much have, have any role really in my, in my early life whatsoever. I had no, I hadn't really no, uh, besides drug experiences, I really had no reference point for spiritual realities. And then when I was uh, 16 years old, I was living in, uh, Rome, Italy with my mother and I was, sitting up late one night having a talk with her, and I don't remember what we were talking about, because I don't think anything we were talking about really catalyzed this, but for some reason, and I don't know what the reason was, um, I, I suddenly, uh, my consciousness began to expand, and I had an experience that's traditionally called cosmic consciousness, and once again, when we describe this with, with rational language, it, it's a hard thing to do because it sounds kind of wild, but yeah. I, I did... I had an experience of becoming aware of the whole universe. You mm -hmm. say, well, how is such a thing possible? And it, all I can tell you is that that's what happened. And I think it was an awareness of infinity. I just, I was an experience of no boundaries whatsoever. Uh, I was aware that the entire universe was one living being that was self-aware. There was, it was, there was intelligence and self-awareness. The, the nature of this being that had no beginning and no end was a kind of impersonal absolute love that was bringing me to my knees. Mm. I was I, I was over, I was physically overwhelmed and crushed by it. It felt like a kind of uh, a kind of ecstasy that was that was over it was crushing. It was uh, unbearable. Um, I was in a state of awe, and I remember at that time I had uh, at that time I had remember I had seen uh, a documentary, uh, and in the documentary there was a picture of Buddhist monks in Southeast Asia prostrating before a giant Buddha statue, and I remember at the time. I was wondering what would compel a human being mm. to prostrate down before this stone uh, statue. I literally didn't know what kind of sentiment, what kind of emotion, what kind of feeling that would compel one to bow down and prostrate. And I remember at that moment, in the midst of this, the, the, the splendor and the glory of what was revealing itself to me, I remembered I suddenly knew why those monks were, were bowing down because I, I was in it. I was in a even though I wasn't physically prostrated, my soul or myself or my being was in a state of prostration and awe and wonder. So I was really, really swept off my feet. Mm. I mean, that, I, 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 I didn't know really what it meant. I just knew that what had happened in those few minutes was the most real, was the most real few moments of my entire life. And I knew everything else 
uh, that had happened up until then could not could not compare in its in its depth and its in its realness. Wow, that's it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I I so understand that um, probably not the immensity of your experience, but I've certainly had my own moments where. Um, I mean, I remember going on a, a sitting meditation retreat and like the first few days, it's just really uncomfortable and you're just struggling and everything. And then at some point my heart cracked open and I totally get what you mean about the prostration thing. It was like, suddenly I wanted to bow to everything I encountered, whether it was a tree or another human being or a rock or the stone Buddha on the altar I, I totally get that. And unless you have that experience, looking at it from the outside, you say to that, you know, you think, oh, those poor, sappy, dumb people bowing to that thing. <laughs> and, and yet when you're in it, man, it's, um, there's no other, there's nothing else you want to communicate to those things except that deep, profound love and the honor to bow to it, uh, truly. Oh. Well, it's the it's the experiential uh, recognition, and, and when it's very profound, I mean, all doubt is at least temporarily removed. That 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 there's a miracle, there's there's a mystery uh, at the core of, of of existence, of the core of the, at the core of this great process we're all a part of, and um, and that and and whatever that mystery mystery is represents, or re- when it reveals itself. To us, we, we we recognize that it it is that which is higher. Mm. So it we, it's an it's an awakening to 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 a, a great sense of, of of spiritual or cosmic hierarchy. We realize that that what that there is something that there, there's there's something going on here, and um and and whatever it is that's compelling all this thing to happen is 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 literally awe inspiring and breathtaking in it, in its true nature. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know. It is interesting because I I was reading your book last night uh and you know sometimes you have those moments where some like someone writes a sentence or says a sentence in a way that um you know makes kind of a, a mini opening or a mini awakening happened and it it has to do with what you're talking about here because um there's something about let me get it here too it was you you and we'll we'll go back and forth here but it was you were talking about the interior the interior your relationship with your own interior and how the territory inside of yourself is everything like on the spectrum from all the way from the radically impersonal depths of pure timeless being which is what you and I are talking about having this moment of experiencing this infinity this limitlessness and then all the way to your ever evolving individual self sense. And I know for me, like in my own path, when I began seeking and looking, I really did think that there was something separate out there that was in charge or was supernatural or something like that. And I really didn't get for the longest time that it was actually something that it's within me that I have access to. And, and even last night reading that it's, it's on page 57, reading that little chunk, I had this like mini, (laughs) this mini awakening where my mind really expanded for about 10 minutes because there, I really, I really understood in a moment there that it's like, oh, this is, this is what the interior is. The interior is the access to this consciousness. And it's not a separate thing that's out there. That's that, I mean, it's, 
it's more intelligent me- than me, but it's not going to come rescue me like a parent or something like that. <laughs> so what, you're, what, what, what you're describing is, I mean, if we can put this in the context of, of, of cultural evolution, because you, you said at the beginning that you have some familiarity with, with integral concepts and mm-hmm. integral ideas and perspectives. So I, I think it's important to, to understand what you were just saying is to put it in, in the, uh, the, the context of cultural evolution and, um, and uh, I think what you're describing exists, you know, or has existed, you know, in in uh, in, in parts of ourselves uh, we're ta- that that is really a holdover from from a traditional worldview. So in in, mm. in the traditional worldview, the traditional worldview is, is based on the the, uh, the myth, a mythical concept of the human experience and of the universe that that that. that uh, that many of the great traditions are based on. They're all based upon creation myths and creation stories. So in a traditional worldview, you know, the, you know, uh, absolute spirit is seen as a, as a divine being or a divine creator. Right. That somehow, if it somehow exists outside from or apart from or beyond the, the creative process. So, you know, the big, you know, and to, to put it in, uh, in more familiar terms, it's 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 kind of the big patriarch, matriarch, or usually it's big patriarch, that you know in the sky or you know or beyond the world, right? Uh, that is uh, that is bearing witness to what he, she, or it has created, and I think those kinds of ideas are really are holdovers in our in, in postmodern consciousness from from really a traditional worldview. But we know since since the the since the traditional worldview, we've gone through two major cultural developmental stages. You know, one one is, is was the great emergence of modernism mm. uh, and, and a scientific worldview, which which you know which was the, began with the Renaissance and and really flowered in the Western Enlightenment was modernism, and then of course postmodernism, which uh, you know which really came into full flowering. You know, it, it you know really burst forth as, as a as a powerful. Uh, as, as a as a as a world cultural event, you know, in the in the 1960s. Now, um, what you know, what we discover when we awaken to, you know, which is very much what the book about it. So it's 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 where, it's where you know, where I think the new big idea, you know, the newest and the most important big idea is evolution. I mean, when I say the new idea, if it's, if it's 150 years old. <laughs> That's still, relatively speaking, in terms of cultural ideas, it's, it's still relatively a new idea. And we have to remember that that, that that originally the whole idea of evolution was related to, to biology, but now, you know, we we're, we realize in the, in the especially in the second half of the 20th century, we've learned about a, a lot about uh, that the, uh, about cosmic evolution. We've learned about the Big Bang, and we've learned about the cosmic process of evolution. And we've and we've really learned a lot about the fact that also culture, you know, that all human beings and all cultures evolve through uh, very specific stages of individual and cultural development. And we realize it's all really part of one developmental process that's going somewhere. That cosmic evolution gave rise to biological evolution, and biological evolution ultimately gave rise to cultural evolution. It's one process that's, that's happening that's going somewhere. And when we see that, we awaken to kind of a deep time, you know, what I call process perspective. We, we realize that we're all part of a cosmic process that's going somewhere. And when we, when we look at the whole notion of spirit or reawaken uh, uh, or rediscover the whole concept of spirit or deep in, interiority or de- these, these deeper high spiritual states, from the from from the uh, orientation of this process perspective, we realize 
that uh, that in fact there is a uh, because remember when you know with the great birth of the uh, with the great emergence of the Western Enlightenment, Western science, they realize there is no such thing as as a, as a, as a divine creator, divine being that exists somewhere outside the process. You know? Right. And but now but now when we when we from the perspective of the process itself, when when we have the awakened to these spiritual states, the you know the likes of which you and I were speaking about at the beginning of our phone call, you know it really doesn't matter what anybody else says because we know that in these higher mystical states we were aware of of something that we can't describe. We can just say it has no there there, there was an, a, a sense of no boundaries. There was a, there was a sense of limitless or that which is infinite, but inherent. In the knowledge of direct experience of no boundaries, there's the awareness of that which we recognize has absolute importance. And, that, and it doesn't matter what anybody tells us. If you have that kind of experience, you know beyond any doubt that what you were in touch with in yourself in those few moments or, or maybe longer moments was that which is of ultimate importance. There's, there's, a great, there's a great sense of ultimacy. So what's happening now is, and this is what I'm, what I'm doing with the teaching of evolutionary enlightenment, is I'm really marrying the, our, uh, our growing knowledge of, you know, uh, realizing that we're, that we're, part, that we're in it, that the, the human experience is, has been produced by a cosmic, uh, an evolutionary process. That cosmic evolution, as we, as we were saying before, gave rise to biological evolution, gave rise to cultural evolution. Cultural evolution gave rise to, the, you know, to, to the mind and to capacity for complex thinking, the deep, deep subjectivity, uh, self-reflective awareness in the light of this, uh, this, uh, this, this psychological and intellectual complexity, it's, it's possible to experience, you know, a deep and profound insight into the nature of our very being. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so, and so in those moments of deep insight that we're speaking about, we're, it becomes apparent to us that at the core of this whole process, there is, there, there is that which we could call spiritual. There's a great, there's a great and profound mystery which we recognize is and of and has ultimate value. And we can't, it's hard to define exactly what it is, but we know it's that which has ultimate value. And we, you know, for lack of a better term, we can call it that which is sacred. But we realize that there's, there's a great sense of, there's a great sense of purposefulness, a great sense of, of meaning and purposefulness and, and majesty in those moments of recognition. And we, and now we're beginning to realize and recognize, and this is what I try and point out in the book, that there's a connection between the human awakening experience uh, to this kind of majesty and the fact that we're part of an evolutionary process that's going somewhere. Something is trying, it, 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 at least it seems like from a human perspective, from the vantage point of a human perspective, looking back to the beginning of time or beginning of the creative process, that something is trying to happen here. Something's trying to emerge. And, 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 and we know it because we feel it. That's what we actually experience. It's not something that we're trying, that, that's, that's a, 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 that we're creating with our minds. It's not necessarily something that we've been told by some kind of mythical, mm-hmm. you know, religious, religious dogma. But even people like you and me, who grew up in, uh, uh, with, you know, with a secular context, in spite of our, the, <laughs> in spite of the way that culture has conditioned us to be materialist, in spite of that, these kinds of experiences have convinced us that uh, that there's something deeper going on here that transcends a materialist worldview. And in fact, there is no divine creator that exists out there separate from the process. But this, that which is driving the process ha- is an, it has an inherently spiritual nature. And when we awaken to it, it's almost bare 
bearing witness to itself. It's almost like God or spirit or the, the you know the energy and intelligence who created the universe is bearing witness to itself through us as us, and that's when it gets very interesting. Well, yeah, it's you know I think about how just you know culturally at least here in the western world you know the, the the spiritual awakening of the 60s how there was this you know this claiming of the space and certainly a lot of eastern religion came in into our culture and um and and how you know because the traditional religion wasn't you know working for some segment of us <laughs> as you were saying and uh and or we weren't raised with it um but there is still this compulsion this this urge, this craving, this calling to connect with this deep, uh, you know, and I just love that, that term deep interiority, it, it kind of takes all the woo woo out of it, because, you know, some people go oh, spirit and all that kind of stuff, and it freaks them out, you know, but <laughs> I, and it does, you know, and you can't have a conversation with these people. But, but there is it's it's this most subjective experience you have. And, and, and and I find it fascinating that, you know, especially the last, what, 40 years in this country, how how so much um, we've been seeking for something, some some connection to something. And a lot of it's been seeking th- some of it, you know, through the material world, um, certainly. And 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 it's fascinating that our the way things are happening in our country right now is with the economy kind of crashing and all the emperors no no clothes are happening and all of that kind of stuff is that this you know i mean that's why i named this show waking from the american dream you know there's something we're waking up from and waking up towards and and i i find it exciting and and but an interesting challenge too because i think a lot of people that have rejected the traditional old man with the white beard in the sky thing uh, because they've rejected traditional um, relationship with the sacred um, think that that's it. There's therefore there's no sacred, you know, or maybe it's just through nature or maybe it's just through drugs or something like that. And, and I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I find it fascinating that we, that there is, there is another way to have a relationship with this that has nothing to do with, um, well, you know, but it does. Well, we'll get into that too. But the, the you know, the the whole um, s- submitting to something. But you know, that's a whole other conversation that we'll have in a minute. Well, I, I think, I think the I think the issue you're bringing up has to do with um, has to do with um, um, with, with some you know with with the really the biggest you know philosophical and existential questions. Which you know, what does it mean? What does it mean to exist? You yeah. Know? Yeah. What, what what does it really mean? And I think. What you're pointing to when you're speaking about what's happening in our culture at this time is, um, you know, there, of course, there's a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's fear because of the, because of the environmental, uh, because of the financial crisis. You know, there's a, there's a financial crisis and, and, and there's, there's a lot of fear around that and, 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 a, and an understandable sense, a great sense of, of insecurity about survival. Yep. And there's, this fear about the future, about global warming, about, about technology, about a lot of things, but I, I, I don't necessarily think that uh, as a result of all this, people are necessarily waking up to, 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 to the, to the, to the truth that the American dream is empty. In other words, I feel that what a lot of people want, I think, I think still, because you know, culture conditions us, you know, in very deeply. It conditions the way we see the world, and I think, I think for too many of us, you know, we, we still. See the, the human, our own experience, and the human experience as a whole through the lens of materialism. Yes, and that, and that conditions us towards nihilism. You know, especially if we're, 
if, if, if our souls, should, I mean, I don't want to, let's see, how can I put this? If our, if our souls aren't strong, if, if I can put it that way, right? It's, it's easy to get tempted into a sort of fatalism and a kind of nihilism, which is, which is very un, uh, un, uh, unwholesome. <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's, it's, it's unwholesome because yeah. it, it, we mm. tend towards a, 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 a kind of cynicism about uh, you know about the basic ontology of what it means to exist. You know, mm-hmm. which to me is a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. And so I think that you know, like sharing these kinds of ideas is very important because I think, uh, like I often say, you know, I think that you and I are um, uh, among you know some of the luckiest people that have ever been born because especially those of us who started with my generation. I'm a baby boomer. I'm 56, mm-hmm. and our children, our children's children, are uh, in spite of all the problems that exist in the world today. The, among the luckiest people that have ever been born, in terms of our standard of living, yep. our, our, our our wealth, our education, our freedom of movement, our freedom of thought. You know, most of us, within reason, can do more or less anything we want. We have in, infinite access to information. Um, you know, our, our our liberation and our standard of our standard of our yeah, our freedom and our standard of living is uh, is historically unprecedented. And at the same time. So many of the luckiest people that have ever been born don't feel very lucky. They feel very victimized because there is there because of the existential angst that we're that we're speaking about. Because there's no clear sense of really well, wait, you know, wait a minute, what is the purpose of all this? Why am I really here? Right. You know, uh, there's so much wealth for, for 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 some people, and there's so much suffering and poverty for others. You know, why 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 is there so much suffering in life? You know, why do we all seem to be going to hell in a handbasket and all the rest of it? And so it brings up, a, it brings up angst and cynicism, and it's a terrible thing when the luckiest people that have ever been born in the history of, of human civilization fall prey to, to, to nihilism, which, you know, which comes from, uh, which is the, uh, for too many people, is the um, inherent uh, result of a materialist worldview. So when we, one discovers, you know, as you have, and, and, as, and as I have, that there is something going on here. You know, there's something happening at the core of this, uh, at, at, the, at, at the innermost core of, of, of existence. Yes. Of what it means. There's something. And when you are awake to that something, you, simultaneously there's, there's a sense of, over, of overwhelming meaning. That do we realize that it means something to exist, that it means something to be conscious of the fact that we exist. And being aware uh, being aware of that, it inherit, there, there's an inherent purpose and meaning in knowing that in consciousness itself, when consciousness awake, you know, awakens to its own depth, suddenly being alive becomes a very uh, that uh, that which is of ultimate importance, and we begin to have, you know, we gain a, a kind of a self-respect, a, a deep and profound self-respect. But but don't you from, but, but don't mm-hmm. you also think that with that, because you know, comes the the holy shit. Oh my God, this is a huge responsibility moment too, because. Sure. Yeah. I mean, sure. and I think that's part of, you know, I think there's some part of us, and I guess we could call it the ego, and we, we probably would need to define what we're talking about when ego with that, but, but the part of us that doesn't want to have to really face up to that responsibility that like, oh wow, we really are alive here and we really are the conscious beings on this planet here. Um, that that's it, it is it's a huge amount of responsibility and you know i always i joke with people a lot you know i say oh sometimes i just wish that you know american idol and haagen-dazs really would just do it for me 
<laughs> you know, there's a part of me that wants to go back to sleep. But once you're awake, you you don't get that choice. You know, it's it's like a, when people go to AA, it kind of ruins their drinking. You know, they can never really go back again. And and so that's the scary part, you know, and, and, I, and I think for me, like reading some of your material and, and watching you lecture sometimes, I get afraid, Andrew, because it's like, oh, man, he's really calling me forth. He's calling me forth to let go of things that I know ultimately, if I were to let go of them, there would be an incredible sense of freedom, like my personal story or, you know, my idea of what I'm, you know, here to do or something like that. And, and, and you know, but and but and so it's it scares me because it is it is um you know, the minute you have that connection to everything, you do fall in love with everything. And then you know that you have to change something in your own life. And that can feel too big for some people. So if because it feels too big or because it's a little scary, does it mean that we should, uh, <laughs> that we should carry on in our, Oh, damn you, in, Andrew. In our, in our, in our, in our superficiality and, and lack of depth and lack no. of, uh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. awake, you know, when we wake up, you know, we wake up to an awesome, an awesome sense of responsibility because you're completely right. Uh, too many of us find it too unbearable to be that alive, to be mm. that deeply in touch with what it means to be alive and prefer to kind of walk, you know, to, to be sleepwalking or to be in some kind of numbed out dream state. But I mean, that, that, that to me, it's from the perspective, from a process perspective, from mm. seeing that, from seeing that, that human predicament from the perspective of the process itself, I mean, that is, that's tragic. It's tragic and unbearable. And I, yeah. and, and of course the, the ego or the separate self, which I'm happy to define if you'd like, mm. the ego or the separate self, does prefer, uh, uh, does want, want, wants to remain in control. But I mean, then, then we're all, then we're, we're going to be only living less than half a life. And there, and there really is no ultimate meaning or purpose or salvation in that. And I also, and even in terms of the whole notion of salvation, I actually, it, it's my conviction that, that, that we're part of a, pro, that, that, the, that this life process is part of a continuum, you know, because we realize that, that, you know, cosmic evolution is part of a continuum. We realize that biological, you know, biological life, when we see it from the perspective of evolution, is part of a continuum. And I also believe that the emergence of consciousness or of interiority mm-hmm. is also part of a continuum. So, from that perspective, you know, I don't really think that death is an escape. <laughs> yes. so, <laughs> so, from, so from the from the point of view of the part of us that wants to remain asleep and, and kind of numbed and doesn't and doesn't really want to have to wake up to the to the awesome the overwhelmingly and awesome you know nature of what it means to be alive that really it's just a matter of, of post time and, and from a certain point of view we're both on one hand we're just postponing the inevitable but from mm. the other point of view the uh you know I believe that what we call karma is created when when there's a conscious when we consciously deny uh, uh, our, our th- things that uh, we already know to we, that we already know to be true. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's well, it, it it's true because you know you can put your head in the sand, but um, your butt's still gonna get kicked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 So, and the more, and the more, and the more conscious you are, the more, you, the more you're going to feel it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so let's get into a little bit here. So, so I'm just going to prep the audience here a little bit. So, so the thing I love about your work, Andrew, is because, and like I said it earlier, you know, I, I've been a seeker for a long time and I did the new age thing and did all this stuff. And, and I, you know, I found a lot of it, um, 
I, I was always, of course, seeking because I wanted that moment of at oneness, enlightenment, Satori, whatever you want to call it. And so it was always that kind of a seeking thing. And then once I started having some of those experiences of, of being at one with all and having a, an experience of the infinite and stuff like that, um, you know, the, the, the big kind of argument with, especially with around the Eastern religion thing is, okay, so once you get in touch with the absolute, which is what we're talking about, the absolute mind, um, you know, there's some people who just check out and they just want to stay there. And, um, and it's, 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 a, it's an incredible place to sit. I mean, it really is. And I think it's an important thing to have access to as a human being to get that we have this part of us that is absolute and can tap into the infinite like that. Um, but it's pretty okay with what is, you know, it sits there and it's like, it's completely unconditional, which means it unconditionally holds whatever is. And, um, and then there's this other thing that you have tapped into, and this is where the evolutionary part of this, I think, comes in, which is literally like the concept of enlightenment has evolved now. And, and this is something that you speak in particular to, which is not so much the state of being, which is part of it. But it's this other state, the state of becoming, where we connect to the to the impulse, the creative impulse of evolution. Um, talk a little bit about that, because that is, uh, you know, that's kind of that's who you are, and that's what you do. Well, no, you've, I think you explained it very clearly, and uh, uh, let's say a way to understand it is that I've realized that what we call this the spiritual impulse, when human being, the spiritual impulse is actually something we experience. It's it's a pull. It's a it's a momentum goes in two directions simultaneously. One direction is back to before the beginning, and 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 we and the back to before the beginning would be the 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 pull to deep and profound inwardness when we when we feel there's something very still and very quiet and very deep and very infinite that's pulling us, pulling us, pulling us deep within. And when we enter into a deep meditative states, especially if you can enter a deep meditative state and then let go and continue to let go and continue to let go and continue to let go, uh, you, you find yourself, uh, uh, you find that the mind, the mind and conceptual thought and all memories related to personal experience, you know, fall away, fall into the background. And if we go deep enough, they ultimately disappear altogether. And when, when mind and memory disappears, time disappears. When time disappears, our awareness of the world disappears. When the world disappears, you know, ultimately, if we take it all the way, our awareness of even our own physical form disappears. And when everything disappears, we realize that the great miracle is that who I really am still is still there. We realize that that our most intimately felt sense of self, in fact, was not our 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 human personality, with all of its historical experiences, but was this immaterial essence. And when you awaken to that part of yourself, you're, there, there is the, this, you awaken to what the Buddha called the unborn or the uncreated. And the unborn and the uncreated, I relate to that, the, the empty void, that timeless, formless void out of which the entire creative process emerged. And when you uh, awaken to and experience this, this deepest dimension of the self, there's a feeling of sinking, 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 falling, falling, falling. Into into a place of ecstatic freedom and radical detachment and freedom from it's the experience of radical transcendence from the world from the creative process from the human experience it's freedom from it's like it's like dying to the world of time and space and that's the kind of enlightenment that the Buddha was speaking about. Mm-hmm. But then we know that out of that timeless, formless emptiness, uh, th- there bursts forth you know the the entire 
creative process that, that emerged with the with the with the, uh, the Big Bang, and that gave rise to this very very dynamic uh, creative process that gave you know that gave rise initially to energy and light, which gave rise to matter, and from matter eventually created the conditions that, that made it possible for life to emerge, and from life, uh, mind. And, uh, and with mind, we have the emergence of, of human culture. And, and we human, human beings are driven, driven, driven by the only species, the only life forms that were driven to innovate and give rise to that which is new. And that is what I call the evolutionary impulse. The evolutionary impulse gave, you know, gave rise to the material universe, but also gave rise to life and ultimately to mind and to culture. So there, and that, that's what we call becoming. The entire creative process seems to be, when we contemplate it, you know, when we enter into a state of introspection and we consider it, it seems to be a process of becoming, of dynamic and dramatic, energetic and ecstatic. Uh, uh, be, uh, be, it's a desire to exist in time and form, and it's a profound pr- process of becoming. And something is really happening when you just consider that from from that that from matter. You know, life, like one writer, you know, recently wrote that there wasn't one Big Bang, there were three. Mm. And the first big, the first Big Bang was, you know, was the emergence of matter. The second Big Bang was the emergence of life. And the third Big Bang was the emergence of mind. And when mm. you realize that's kind of one creative process, you're like, wow, there's something amazing, <laughs> extraordinary, miraculous that's actually happening here that is trying to happen. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about the first. So, the, so the, that's the expression of the other impulse. So one of, the, of these impulses is calling us to go back to before the beginning of time, to that state, mm. or to that knowing of what the Buddha called the uncreated and the unborn. And the other is this dynamic uh, 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 manifest expression of the of what I call the evolutionary impulse, which is the desire to exist in time and form. And it's not just a desire to exist. It's a desire to become, to create, to give rise to that which is new. And the most miraculous uh, part of the creative process is what's called emergence. And emergence is when a greater complexity emerges out of lesser complexity. You know, how is it possible mm. that out of lesser complexity, greater complexity emerges? Nobody knows what the answer is. It's <laughs> the great miracle and the great mystery of existence itself. So there's something trying to happen here. And when you look at um, emer- you know, emergence was originally discovered, in the field of biology, but when you realize emergence is also trying to happen at the level of consciousness and culture, and it's also trying to happen in and through you and me, there's something, uh, something that has never existed before, that a, a potential and a possibility at the level of consciousness is trying to emerge in and through us. You realize there's something extraordinary that's happening here, and the experience of the evolutionary impulse is the experience of an ecstatic, ecstatic, joyful, Urgency. Mm-hmm. The experience of the, of the of the evolutionary impulses and ecstasy and urgency. And very creative people are driven. You know, the, the greatest creative geniuses in all fields of human endeavor were individuals who are driven by an ecstatic urgency, yep. always to give rise to that which is new. Whether they're artists, poets, poets, uh, poets architects, scientists, uh, uh, you know, a spiritual luminaries, or or uh, or some of the greatest published po- politicians and public public figures, you know, in human history, we're talking about individuals who are driven and driven and driven to give rise to that which is new and whatever feel. And there's something that there's something that's compelling all these these individuals who are driven by this ecstatic impulse to give to rise to that which is new. So the evolutionary impulse is that. And when we awaken to to our own deeper interiority as that as that evolutionary impulse, 
we awaken to a, uh, a, a wave of inspiration, of life positive, life positive inspiration to exist and to uh, ensure that something uh, ent- enters into manifestation as a result of the fact that we're here. You know, there's a, there's a deeply powerful, deeply life-positive uh, uh, experience of, of inspiration that compels us to live a life of pers- purpose and meaning when we wake into this impulse. So it's very, very powerful. You know, I, I think about that when you were talking about the from the matter to biology to consciousness. I think about that great uh, story that Alan Watts used to tell about how if some uh, aliens came by Earth, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, two billion years ago, it would have just been this molten kind of thing or this big pile of rocks or whatever. And then suddenly uh, they came by um, uh, 25,000 years ago and they saw that these rocks had suddenly peopled. <laughs> that somehow people and animals and plants came out of this static, non-sentient thing and... And I, and I just, I, I love holding it in that way. It's like, you know, you know, and he says something about like, you know, watch out for rocks. You never know when they're going to people, you know, and, and, and I, I just, I love that, that look of it all because it is such a, it is a miracle. It's, it's so amazing. Um, and, um, what you were talking about at the, at the end there, the, um, this dissatisfaction, this urge, this ecstatic urge, um, you do. I mean, I, I know growing up with my dad, you know, my father was extremely driven, uh, by his work and was, was always had satisfied for a moment. And then there's this other dissatisfaction and, and, you know, people and I used to, you know, and I still do sometimes want to pathologize that dissatisfaction. Like, well, why can't we just be okay with what is? And there is that moment where you do get to be okay with what is, but to really see, it's so fascinating to reframe this and to see that that dissatisfaction, that hunger, that hunger is, is life itself. It's the creative impulse itself. And when you connect it to the big bang like that, your mind does instantly get expanded. It's, it's like, wow, we are, it's like this thing is, is, is moving forward no matter what. And it's bigger than me, this body, this mind, this life, this culture, this planet, it's moving forward. And, and to figure out what a humans are to do with it. And then of course, to figure out what your own individual path has to do with it, I think is, is really like always the, you know, is it, is it my ego telling me this? Or is this the, the pure creative impulse? Like, how do you, how do you play with those two understandings? Well, that's a really good question. And um, I think you really, you really, obviously, you really get it. Now, I think the way to understand this thing, and the way to understand this thing is, is to kind of look at it through the, through a, 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 the lens of kind of a theological metaphor. Okay. It's the only way to really grasp this. So, because I'm just using these theological metaphors because they're helpful. That this is not this. I'm not, I don't mean anybody to take this literally. Right. But the way to understand this particular dimension of of of, of existence and of spirit is if you Im- you have to imagine what it would what would it be like if if you were the the being the cosmic being the godlike being the god being that chose. To create the universe, so you have to imagine that this that, that this was your choice to take the leap from nothing to something, 
from formlessness to form, from being to becoming. So this was your, it was your choice to do this, because you didn't have to do this. Because remember, before the universe was created, everything was, everything was cool, everything was perfect, mm-hmm. and nothing existed yet. But you decided to do this, and you were compelled to do it. And if you did, once you took that, that leap from nothing to something, from formlessness to form to being to becoming, if you once you if you were God, because remember God only does it, it does it does things in absolutes. There's no duality. There's no second guessing. There's no doubt. It's, right. it's an absolute position. It's an absolute choice. So once you decide, I'm going to create a universe in my own image. You know, I'm going to do this. Once you did it, once you took that leap, there would be no looking back. There would be no second guessing. There would be no doubt. But so so you take a deep breath, and then you, and with that exhalation, you were off. Mm. And now you'd have to imagine that that's who you are. If that was, if you were the the the, the God being, you know, the God-like being, or the or God that decided to 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 give rise to this creative process, would you be interested in what you or, and attached to what you had already given rise to, or would you always only be interested in what you hadn't yet get, quite managed to uh, to give rise to? And I think it becomes obvious when we consider it in, in this way that you'd always be endlessly, eternally compelled by the next emergent potential, and and uh, and you would because you were you because you were God, you would not be attached to you because you, your nature is is eternally free mm. and always self self liberated. You would never be attached to what had already happened or to what was or had been. You'd always you'd be eternally compelled, mesmerized, and driven, and reaching always towards the possible for eternity. So that is so that is the nature of the evolutionary impulse itself, and that's why the evolutionary impulse is a drive in the cosmos. It's a it's an energetic drive. It's a, it's, a, it's a, in the cosmos, but it's also simultaneously an experience of liberation, and it's an experience of liberation because within it there's no attachment. There's only a reaching, reaching, reaching for the possible. Yeah. You know, and it's so interesting because uh, I, I think about that, and I also think about people who um, have a different sense of what spirit is doing and moving through them, and and I always worry, and this is this is where my mind goes sometimes, and, and I, I can't, I'm happy, to, I'm so happy you're here to, to talk me through this. I always worry. Then, how do you know if it's not the narcissistic ego? saying oh well this is what we need to do next like like it hold it gets a hold of that impulse or that energy or whatever or it it kind of um hijacks it and and you know and says this is what i i'm working god is working through me or or humanity needs this and i can feel it because it feels like this expansive big place and so what's the what's the safety check there? Like what's the question you ask yourself so you don't think you're getting completely megalomaniac or something? Well, I mean, I think what you bring up is a very reasonable question because there are, you know, because what we're talking about here is not as necessarily a human being. We're talking about an impulse, an energetic impulse in the cosmos that human beings experience, right? As, you know, as 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 creative and spiritual innovation. But but there there you know but you know uh, how how evolved are we at the level of the soul? How evolved are we morally? You know to what degree have we transcended fundamentally narcissistic life motives? So so I think you're asking a very good question. So for example, if we aren't evolved at the level of the soul, if we aren't morally developed, if we haven't fundamentally transcended 
uh, nar- narcissistic life motives, it's possible to be, to, to be very driven in this way by this profound impulse, and, 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 our, and our narcissism is also very wrapped up in it. And we also know, for example, there are, there are examples of great artists, you know, artists and, and, and musicians, uh, people of great talent who, who, who in, indeed have great talent and were driven by that talent, but they're, but they're, but they're also, but their narcissism and also their, their, their lack of moral development was also all wrapped up, uh, you know, in their creative prowess and in, and, and in their, and in this, and, and so, uh, and so the whole point of spiritual development, the mm. whole reason, mm. the reason for, for, for serious spiritual practice and spiritual development is to, is to, you know, embrace the arduous and heroic and courageous task of purifying the self from these lower, lower motives that obscure the purity of the evolutionary impulse itself. And unless we're willing to do the hard work of, of, of working on our own moral development, you know, uh, and and ego transcendence, it's it's entirely possible that we we can we can be 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 driven by this kind of impulse, but but the but but the um, but the manifestation expression of it will will lack the purity and the the, lum, the luminescence and the, and the simplicity uh, that 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 would be possible. So I think how and you know the question is how do we know? Yeah. I mean I think the, the way the way we would know is if we have to be spiritually compelled towards that kind of purity. Mm-hmm. It's something we have we have to be interested in and um and if we're interested and compelled by it, we'll be we would be disturbed by by uh, narcissistic motives in ourselves right. which would pollute which would pollute the purity of the impulse. And um yeah, I mean, it's yeah. something we have to have to be interested in. I think it's a very good question, and you know, and often we see individuals who who are very driven and are capable of of, of, of genius and in different fields of human endeavor. But we find we we can find ourselves mesmerized and inspired by their genius, but but very disturbed by their narcissism or by their lack of morality. Yeah. And so what we all what we all crave for is you know is is that liberating genius. Unmarred by a lack of moral development and, and narcissistic, you know, obsession. Well, and, and you know, I, I think about you know uh, what Ken Wilber talks about in the importance of you know different lines of development. You know that it's important to kind of have a self awareness comes into this. You know, how, what is my psychological state? How, how much? How in touch am I with my unconscious shadow urges? Um, you know, how how developed am I morally? Absolutely. You know, and, and really you know, seeing that there are these different aspects to it. And, um, you know, I mean, we've certainly, anyone who's been around the spiritual path for the last 40 years knows that there was plenty of spiritual teachers that, you know, came and, and just wreaked havoc on people's lives um, <laughs> because their shadow just came barreling through through the compound and, uh, you know, destroyed relationships and, and all sorts of things. So, um you know, I think that's important for people to, to think about that just because someone is, has connected to a deep spiritual state of mind and can actually be in that place doesn't always mean, um, that they've done the other work, you know, and, and how, and how important that is. And, and that's part of the responsibility I see, you know, in my life too is, you know, that, that really, you know, that psychological work is essential, that it does, you know, be living in the West here, you, you have to, you have to do the work. Um, well, I, I just I, I just want to add, I think, an important element. I agree with everything you said, but I want to add an, an important element to that, which is, I think, to be honest, um, 
Kelly, I don't think it's psychological work as much as it, you know, because I think what we're talking about here is a level of moral development. Yes. I am, in my understanding, has to do with, I, I would call that in the way that I approach this soul development. Uh-huh. And, psycho- and psychological development, which really has to do with our ego insecurities, with a lot of insecurities that have to do with the psychological self. Right. Is a different, is a different kind of shadow because there are kind of unconscious different ways that we've been conditioned and uh, that, that, you know, that, that we see as unconscious believe uh, unconscious actions and unconscious motives that aren't necessary, you know, and which can often be self self-destructive, or, or you know, or even uh, aggressive or harmful. But but what we're, we're talking with the issue here, I think, is the interest in a, in, a, in a deeper level of moral development. And moral development, I think, is the important issue here. And, and moral development is not uh, does, it is different than psychological development. Mm-hmm. I think moral development compels us to. Uh, to embrace a deeper relationship to what it means to exist, because because uh, a moral development is always in relationship with. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the whole notion of morality always exists when we realize that we're not alone in the universe. When, whenever there is an other or the others, or there, you know, which which in, it, it could the other could be the biosphere, or of course it could be other sentient beings, other other human beings. Then there's a moral context for existence, and and when we awaken to a moral context of existence, that that means that our behavior is going to have to be regulated to accommodate the the, the truth of the fact that I'm not alone in this world, uh, that you know that we have to find a way to all exist here in a in a, in a way that that benefits everybody the, you know the most, and so and when so when there's a a, a more when we embrace a moral context for existence, it. Uh, it, I mean, I actually believe it helps. It will help us to transcend a uniquely postmodern predicament, which is the problem of extreme narcissism that you know <laughs> yes. that you and I were talking about before. Which I feel, especially for baby boomers and their children and their children's children, mm-hmm. is a is a very serious cultural epidemic. And I don't think that psychological shadow processing helps to alleviate narcissism uh, one single bit. As a matter of fact, it can even, if I, if I could go so far as saying, could even make it worse because it's, it's still, it's still we're obsessed with our, with our own personal experience. And I think the issue of moral development here, it, it, at least after 25 years of teaching, I can tell you honestly, I think it's the only way when we, when we realize, oh, I'm not alone in this world. My, my actions have effects. Uh, uh, maybe that, you know, maybe there's a much more careful, thoughtful, uh, con- considered, uh, uh, a purposeful way I, I can actually uh, be myself in this world, one that, that could, that's going to be an expression of the not only the consideration for others, but also there'll be an expression of a higher purpose. And I feel when we embrace that kind of moral um, moral inspiration, it, you know, it can help us deal with a lot of our, our own psychological insecurities at the same time. But then, uh, but then our psychological experience is automatically made secondary, and mm. I think that save us save us a lot of time. You know, I, that's thank you for saying that because it, it, it you know this is part of the conversation I think that you know is is really waking up for me and and uh, there's something about having the morality come from the outside. You know, like the traditional religion. There's the ten, you know there's the Ten Commandments, and it was like thou shalt. You know, and there was in the, you know certainly in the modern world. And then even in the postmodern world, there's this rejection of this outside authority. But what I really got when you were talking about that was that when you connect to this, you know, authentic self, this creative impulse, uh, that the morality is, is, is just apparent because you are connected to everything and you see the impact you're having. And, and, 
and and that's the, you know and I, I i look out at the world right now and i look at the people on um, the occupy wall street people who are out there marching and sitting and camping and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I think that's the conversation that they're really trying to have with our culture now is, you know, that, you know, what's the morality of this system? Who, who's benefiting, you know, who, who's understanding the impact on pe- people's lives, on the environment and, and that we've built from through technology and through our culture, a way in which we don't really feel our impact on the planet. We don't feel our impact on the, the social structure and the economic system of our country that, you know, when I just go about my business and drive my car, I don't feel the impact of it on the earth. And to be in this other space, this becoming really connecting to that, we are this thing. Um, you know, it, the morality becomes very clear and the responsibility comes clear, but it's not from a place of like, Oh, you're a bad person, but wow. How do we, how do we, how do we make this so that it's fair for everyone and everyone feels um, honored? <laughs> and well, res- well, cer- certainly. And of course that what you're describing there is really, you know, an expression of a very high level of cultural development because at low levels of cultural development, you know, we're just out for our own group, you know, whether like it's our own tribe. So if you go, for example, in the, into Africa or into many parts of the Middle East, you know, it's really still, tribe people are very much in a tribal consciousness. So people are really just interested in the, in people who they share the same bloodline or blood group with. Or, 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 uh, or maybe we're, we have a, ver- our sense of self is very nationalistic. So we're really just, interested in you know in you know in, in our particular in in the survival uh, and the development and our, of our and and strength of our uh, uh, of our particular nation mm-hmm. and uh, you know then at, at the at, at the leading edge you know it's 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 kind of of a world centric consciousness when we see ourselves as, as human beings first and foremost who happen to be members of uh of a, of a particular nation, who happen to be members of a particular religious orientation, who happen to be members of a particular tribe, you know. Right. And, and so we're, so that we're at a world-centric level of development, we, we, you know, we really begin to see and awaken to the fact that, 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 that we're all part of one, one process here. But there's one step beyond that, because we're talking about the awakening of, of a deeper sense of inclusiveness, you know. In other words, because if, if you just see yourself as a member of a tribe, it's just, it's just you and, it's you and your group. Or if you're a member of a particular religious group, it's just you and your and you and everybody who's a member of your particular religion, or it's just you and everybody who's in your country, but not anybody else. But when you reach a, a world-centric level development, you 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 kind of including every, all sentient life on this planet as as part of one process, and our sense of, of our moral sense of empathy and inclusiveness, then it in, you know includes all of life on the planet. And that is a very high level of, of moral development uh, in you know in human beings, which uh, which need, which we need to really work on. But there's one beyond that, which is uh, which is a cosmocentric, and that's when we begin to identify with the evolutionary process as a whole. Mm. That's when we that's when we see not only all, all the life on this planet, but everything that's happening in the cosmos. All you know is all part of one process. And then we see everything that's happening from the perspective of this one cosmic process that's trying to happen. And then, then there, there's there, there's a, yet another uh, a sense of a, a, a moral awakening and a moral sense of of, of purpose that we begin to uh, discover at this you know at, when we awaken to evolution in this way. Mm-hmm. And and we're, in this we're all talking about different stages of, of moral awakening, moral development, right? Uh, which are capacities for empathy and inclusion. 
Yeah. Wow. That's, it was just, even when you were um, talking about it, you know, just kind of letting my mind expand into that place and, and touching just for the little bit that I can touch that, you know, that cosmos, that cosmos uh, consciousness. And, and all that happened for me was just uh, this big smile came on my face because it's just, it's <laughs> such a, it's such a, an incredibly, it's, well, it's beyond words because it's, it's just this, it's a big wow is what it is. <laughs> just this big wow. <laughs> that's right. It's a big wow. That, that's, that's what we started with. It is a big wow. It is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's, the, it's the big wow. Well, Andrew, thank you so much, everyone. If, if you're interested in getting more into the details of this, please go out and find Andrew Cohen's book at Evolutionary Enlightenment is what it's called. He's got a whole bunch of other things in this book that really break it down and, and beautifully hold it in, in all different directions and and really get to discuss it on a more even a more pragmatic or practical level and and Andrew thank you so much because you know everyone all you know everyone's a part of this big evolutionary process and I'm just so thrilled to know that there's there's someone and there's there's many ones on this planet um, doing this kind of thinking and opening your mind and your heart and your consciousness to this reality and, and bringing us um, bringing this to just, you know, saying, Hey, people look over here. And uh, it's been such a joy for me these last five or six years to just encounter your thoughts and your words and, um, and to inspire me to like, to, to get like, Oh, there's something big going on here and I want to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, Kelly, it's been an absolute thrill and a total joy and completely delightful to to speak with you. I've really had fun, and your 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 sincerity and your enthusiasm really touched me. Oh well, thank you, and and I look forward to when my schedule opens up at some time, either coming to Massachusetts or going to Europe, and uh, you know, sitting on a cushion and uh, having you uh, make you me, won't regret make me won't deal regret. with myself. <laughs> You, you you won't regret it, I guarantee. I, I have no doubt about that. Thank you again, Andrew, and you have, okay. a, be- have a beautiful weekend and Thanksgiving. Thank you. Lots of love. Okay. Bye. Well, everyone, that was, uh, like I said, it was going to be mind-blowing. And, uh, yes, sometimes it gets a little esoteric and uh, a little, uh, maybe it sounds a little complicated, but, uh, you know, sit with it and uh, check out his book because it really is... He's, he's got something going on. And if you're a spiritual seeker, I really think that this is the cutting edge of what is the point of, of seeking that space of being and, and also seeking that space of becoming. It's more than just being free from the ego. It's, uh, it's plugging into the, to the big imperative here. And, and I find that very exciting. This is the kind of stuff that's really lit me up the last five or six years, like I said. And I'm just so honored and thrilled to have this form to share it with you. And, um, We'll keep the discussion going on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Kelly underscore Carlin. You can find me on Facebook at Waking from the American Dream. And I have a like page, Kelly Carlin. And then I got a regular old page too. You know, one of those kind of pages, Kelly Carlin. Uh, what else is happening? Um, I want to thank Matt. Here's here. And uh, he's uh, the man who's, uh, you know, does it all. He plugs it all in. He spins it. He he pushes, he, he, he downloads, he watcha, watcha, watches. He's the man. 
And um, I want to thank, um, of course, uh, all my listeners. And, and if you're not subscribing, please do subscribe to me on iTunes. I'd love to have you on there. And if you really up for it and really love what I do, uh, give me a little rate and a review because that always helps things in the end. And um, like I said, next week is Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll all be eating turkey at about this time, or we'll actually, we'll all be in the turkey coma by now, probably. And, <laughs> and then the following week I have Jay Moore. Um, and, uh, want to thank Kevin Smith for letting me to be here on podcast and, uh, sponsoring this show and, uh, just doing the great work that he does. And, you know, why the hell not? Since we're here thanking everything, let's thank that big creative impulse, that thing that decided to go from nothing into something so that we could all be here. Bye-bye.